0: This Washington Post Live podcast is sponsored by P.W.C.
1: You're listening to a podcast from Washington Post Live, bringing the Post's newsroom to life on stage. On June 26th, economic experts and business leaders held in-depth conversations live at The Washington Post about the impact of the tax law six months after it took effect and what is ahead for the next phase of tax reform in America. In this segment, Kevin Hassett, the head of President Trump's Council of Economic Advisers, discusses whether the tax reform package is delivering on its promises and where tax reform goes from here. Let's listen.
2: Well, thanks so much, everyone, for being here, and especially thanks to Kevin uh, Hassett for coming. Um, You've got twenty-five minutes in me. I know. Hurry, hurry, the hurry! The clock. Run the <laughs> <clock. Okay. laughs> Back the <laughs> clock up. Um, anyway, happy to kick off our tax reform discussion. Uh, Kevin's the uh, chairman of the White House Council of Economic Advisers. And just so you know, he was confirmed by the Senate with an 81-16 vote, which is essentially like being a unicorn. I mean, it's unheard of these days in Washington, so it's a real... But th- I lost both my home state senators, <laughs> not that I'm counting. Maybe they knew I'm you from personally. Massachusetts. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, before we get started, I just wanted to remind the audience in the room and those watching online that you can tweet questions um, for all of our panelists using the hashtag PostLive, and we'll try to get to some of them. Um, or also d- real Donald Trump if you want to tweet questions. <laughs> You know, here I am. <laughs> OK, well, speaking speaking of the president's Twitter feed, actually. Um, it did happen once on TV, by the way, <laughs> that he tweeted while I was on TV about what we were talking about. Oh, really? The US, the was TV. it liberating because you hadn't seen it and you couldn't it, respond? It,
0: I just felt like I was in this new world order where <laughs> the media is changing.
2: Well, I actually have several questions for you about the tax law. But, but if we could just start with the news of the day, and actually the pre- what the president tweeted this morning about a major US company. Yesterday, we saw the Dow Jones Industrial Average fall 300 points. Um, And so it's down about 2,500 points from its peak in January. It sounds like a lot of this is due to escalating fears about trade wars. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of um, optimism after the tax law passed, and now there's a lot of concern. Um, And I think you've used the word um, um, uncertainty. You know, but but now we're seeing companies actually changing behavior. Prices are going up, steel and lumber. Harley-Davidson, you know, major U.S., iconic U.S. company, said that it was moving some of its, op- more of its operations outside the U.S. to avoid Europe's retaliatory tariffs. And the president responded very angrily, saying that they were w- waving the white flag. What you, what's your response to that? Do you think they're waving the white flag? Well, well first, it, it is correct that
0: uncertainty is bad for markets. And... Uh, you know, Economists call uncertainty a, a, a mean-preserving spread in what might happen. And so the idea would be that like, the average is still zero, but you, know, you increase the, the tails of the distribution. And I don't think that uncertainty is really the right characterization for what's going on right now, because uh, the mean itself is hopefully going to move. The president has a clear objective of moving the world to a better place with more reciprocal trade deals with lower tariffs uh, and lower tariff barriers or non-tariff barriers. And we're in the midst of you know, negotiation to move us in that direction. And so I think that, that the direction is, is not zero. The direction is positive. And the OECD put out a study of what happens if Donald Trump's vision of the world uh, becomes true. And they found that global GDP goes up, US GDP goes up, and so on. And, and so I think that that's the ultimate objective. But. Of course, uncertainty, you know, while you're trying to accomplish a, a big objective is something that, that can royal markets, and that's something that we've seen, I think, over the last few months. But the bottom line, though, is that, that you know, moving past Harley-Davidson to the data, uh, if you look at what's going on right now because of the tax reform, which is the, the title right of our event, then there's a massive amount, an explosion of capital spending, but especially an explosion uh, in the location of investment in the U.S., uh, foreign direct investment uh, skyrocketed about 10% in the first quarter. Uh, the repatriation of uh, earnings by U.S. multinationals was like about a factor of 10 bigger than what it was in the fourth quarter. And so there's a massive amount of activity coming home. And, and so Harley-Davidson is an interesting story. But, but, you know, I mean, if you look at the data, then it's the opposite that's happening.
2: But what are companies supposed to do? Um, are they supposed to wait it out and get to, like you said, that point along the spectrum where everything works out and and we do have this kind of concerted global growth or in the meantime are they supposed to face these higher tariffs whether it's in Europe, Canada, wherever because it sounds like some companies are laying off workers you know in the real well, the real well time. again
0: the, the the hope is that that we Make, I mean, the, the president wrote the book, The Art of the Deal, right? It's all about making deals. And uh, other presidents have wanted to improve our trade deals, which aren't reciprocal. You know, the Europeans have 10% tariffs on our cars already, and we're trying to fix that. And so, sure, you know, they're retaliating right now along with, you know, I guess they're saying it's because of the steel, but, but we've got big objectives to lower tariff barriers between our countries. And, and right now, they're targeting this and that, and, and we understand that that's difficult for those companies. But again, I think that if you were to take the retaliation from uh, the Europeans and then add in the benefit of the tax reform, then even for Harley-Davidson, they're way, way ahead. And that's why when you look at things like uh, sentiment indicators, uh, Morgan Stanley has an indicator of capital spending. And, and again, firms uh, spend money on capital when they're optimistic, right? right? It's the highest it's ever been. And so I think that, that for sure there's a lot of, of stuff going on in the trade space, but it's small relative to the overall economy. And in the data, it's being dwarfed by the positive news of the tax report. So do
2: you think uh, um, that companies can kind of absorb this uncertainty for now or this uh, this sort of back and forth? And then uh, there'll be a resolution, do you expect, in the next three months? I think,
0: you know, I don't know the timing. I'm not the trade negotiator, but, you know, I I hear reports from Ambassador Lighthizer about positive progress on NAFTA. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I think we're all hopeful that, and the president himself, you know, desperately wants to make the deals better, as have other presidents. And I think that this is a president who has a good shot of accomplishing it.
2: So uh, the tax
0: law passed and... And that'll be really good for for Harley-Davidson and for everybody else. Think of how good it'll be for U.S. auto workers if the Chinese 25% tariff on autos goes to zero and the European 10% tariff on autos goes to zero. I mean, there would be very good news, right? And so that's, what, that's the sense in which uh, what I'm saying is it's not just uncertainty, it's directional. We're, I think that there's a really good shot with all the leverage that we have that the president's gonna make the deals a lot better.
2: Right, but I guess on the flip side, everything's sort of going in the other direction. It seems like, at least publicly, the president in his, one of his tweets this morning said that this report was almost ready on European cars, you know, posing a national security in the United States. He threatened a t- uh, heavy tax against Harley-Davidson if they move operations outside the United States. So a lot of the rhetoric is in the direction of more adversary or adversarial yeah. than, you know, everyone sort of working together to get a deal.
0: Right, and, and, and you know, I, I'm not a poker player, a right. deal maker, I'm an economist, but but I think that, that the president's objectives are clear, and, and I think that, you know, I, I was heartened by, uh, you know, a, a, I guess it was the Wall Street Journal, it's the unusual story that wasn't broken by you, uh, <laughs> right, that, that the... Uh, that the Europeans were coming with an offer on autos that was to take the tariffs all to zero, and and that's the kind of progress that that I think that the economic team is hoping for.
2: So the the tax law passed six months and, ago. And by the way, yeah. it's not
0: like you talk sure. you, a lot of times, you guys have to cover like the division and you know on the team. But but what I just said, I've seen Peter Navarro say that you know in rooms and on TV very often. And so I think that that the ultimate objective is something that's shared by by the entire team and then the, the question of how you get from here to there is something that previous administrations have failed to do and, and and you know I'm sure that there's like divided opinion about what the best strategy is
2: do you feel like you have input in this trade negotiation in the white house or are you there to sort of crunch numbers right. so so the
0: 46 act established the uh, council of Economic advisors as a, a component uh, within the white house that is i i think it's a beautiful unique wonderful thing that we bring in economics professors from all around the country that spend a year uh, basically answering the question, what does the economics profession thinks uh, ha- would happen to the economy if we do this or if we do that? And we probably work on, at one point we were counting that it might be 14 different topics a day, right? Uh, because like almost every question that comes up in the White House, even if it's something like what's going on in Venezuela, Requires economists to give an opinion, and, and yes, we're in every meeting. Uh, if people are considering options, then we analyze the options and we uh, suggest you know, what would happen if you do this or that in just about every economic uh, sphere.
2: Well, on the tax law, six months in, um, what has happened that you sort of expected? What has happened that surprised you? What are you still? What shoes are you still expecting to see drop? The the thing that
0: surprised me the most so far. Uh, is how uh, precisely uh, the data have come in exactly as we expected with our models uh, in the fall. And we went back and looked at what we were saying in November would happen if the tax bill passed. Uh, and um, you know I, I could share this, this data with you, but, but it, one of the things that surprised people about the tax bill was that it actually had a bigger incentive for structures investment than for equipment investment even though structures don't qualify for expensing. And the reason is that a really long-lived asset is basically being taxed by the tax rate. And so if you get it from 35 to 21, then it really increases the incentive for structures investment. And, and so while we were analyzing it, you know, I was saying stuff like that, but it was sort of a surprising thing to see. Uh, but then we get first quarter GDP, and uh, our estimate of what would happen to structures was that it would go up uh, 14, I think 14.2%. Uh, because of the tax bill, and it, and it should jump immediately in the models that we use, and in the first quarter of GDP, it went up 14 point3 percent, and we thought that equipment would go up about nine percent, and I think it went up eight something percent. We thought intangible 's investment would go up around eleven percent, it went up around eleven percent. We said nine percent for overall investment, and it was like nine point two. Uh, and so I say the biggest surprise, and I'm sure that the second quarter, it looks like, is going to be way above those numbers. Uh, but but right. the real surprise for me was that, that th- the models worked, and they worked not only in the top line, but in the sort of cross-section. T- is there
2: anything that underperformed or got out sluggish from the gate, um, according um, to your projections?
0: No, I would say everything has surprised on the upside. Uh, don't forget that that back when we wrote our growth forecast last fall for this year of a, just a little bit north of 3%, that everybody's like, oh, these guys are crazy. And I you know, had uh, economists that advised previous presidents. Uh, what, there was one quote that every time I went on CNN, they would play the quote. I don't have to say the person's name, where they introduced me like this on CNN, because they're so collegial towards this White House, you might have noticed, that Kevin Hassett is either stupid uh, or a liar or both. Uh, but but there, that was over the 3% forecast. Uh, and now we look, at, and everybody's forecast is above ours, right? And so I think that mostly we've surprised on the upside. The wages have gone up faster than we thought.
2: Are uh, the wages going to catch up to your projections, though? I mean, you were on the on the record last year in the middle of the debate saying four thousand dollars per year. The
0: yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, well, again, so so what happens was what happens is that that capital spending goes up uh, because of the tax bill, and then workers become more productive and then firms have to pay them a higher wage because they're more productive because they have better machines to work with. And uh, the example I used in the fall, which is still what I always think of, uh, is that when I ran a lawnmower business when I was a kid, I got a self-propelled mower, and it made me more productive. Right, Right. and and it really fundamentally changed my ability to mow lawns because I'd be so tired because pushing (laughs) that thing without the self-propelled. But yeah, I, I mean, we thought in over three to five years that the average wage in the U.S. would go up by $4,000, and that was based on basically the capital accumulation happening that our models predicted. And so think about it, uh, I just mentioned that the first quarter capital spending number came in precisely on expectation, and so we are on the path uh, to get that extra money. But the thing that surprised me is how many firms uh, looking ahead to a tight job market and a lot of of higher productivity have increased wages already. Uh, And so Uh, Through bonuses or through through, wages? Well, you know, bonuses and wages, both, and also uh, increased 401K contributions, but we've got, uh, we keep track of this. We're closing in on 7 million. We're north of 6 million workers have received an average increase of 1,200 bucks, but some of those uh, people in in the database have already gotten the 4,000, and and, and to put the 4,000 in perspective, Walmart uh, increased the minimum wage by $2 an hour, and... If a full-time worker gets a higher wage by two dollars an hour, then that's pretty close. It's getting up into the high three thousands. So say let's just say it's getting closer to four thousand. And if the lowest-paid guy at Walmart is already this year getting something that's you know with inhaling frequencies of the four thousand dollars, then it makes the four thousand dollar number seem pretty reasonable, right? And, and so, but during the tax debate, when our analysis, uh, which again was just math and, and data, uh, was saying the 4,000 number that y- you would have thought that, that it was a crime against humanity to assert such a thing But the fact that the lowest paid guy at Walmart is almost getting that in the first year When we said it'd be three to five years suggests that the things working
2: Do you expect the companies that offered those bonuses right out of the gate to offer bonuses again? Because clearly those companies are going to get recurrent tax cuts,
0: right? Well, well there, there's a big literature on wages and how they tend to be sticky and uh, I think even bonuses it, it depends on whether your bonus it is uh, like a performance-related thing that's tied to the profits of the firm, in which case the bonus, bonuses fluctuate. But I would anticipate that these bonuses will stick uh, and that when we see uh, the wage data, uh, think about it this way. Uh, and and we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about this next, say, February. So so what should happen is if the bonuses don't stick, then wages should go down, right? Because right. they got an extra $1,200 this year, but then they don't get it next year. Uh, but I predict that wages will not decline next year, that they'll go up probably nominally Five percent, something like that. And so, the, the data I'm seeing in the capital spending,
2: the data you're seeing. I mean, it looks like the data shows that wages are increasing at about the same rate they did before the tax law passed. That's, that's incorrect. Okay. Actually.
0: Yeah, I, I, I uh, had just recently uh, tweeted a chart about this, but uh, the employment cost index, uh, which I think is it, it's a measure of nominal wage increases, which it turns out that labor economists don't want you to adjust uh, for inflation because you've got. The nominal wage measure is noisy and the inflation measure is noisy. And so if you take two noisy things and divide them, uh, then it's even more noisy. And so to look at what's going on in the labor market, it's pretty widely accepted. You should look at nominal wage growth with the employment cost index, uh, which is, I remember when I worked at the Fed, it was Alan Greenspan's favorite measure of this. And the employment cost index right now over the last three months that we have data is increasing at an annual rate of 4%. And that 4% increase is the highest we've seen since at least 2006. I have to say at least 2006 because they changed the way they make the data in 2006, and comparing before then is difficult. But it could really be the highest that we've seen in 20 years.
2: Do you, before um, you joined the White House, you, you wrote quite extensively about the deficit and concerns about the fiscal trajectory of the country that goes back decades. Do you feel like, do you worry that a legacy of this tax law could be? its impact on the deficit? Or no, I think the deficit is skyrocketing, but
0: it's not a legacy of the tax law. It's a legacy of the spending deal that just happened that you know, spent you know, a lot more than the president wanted. Uh, and, and the way to think about the tax deal, by the way, uh, is that the, the static score was about $1.4 trillion over 10 years. The, the corporate side was that it would cost about $400 billion, and the individual side it was about a trillion. On the corporate side, the $400 billion that it would cost as a static score, you know, clearly, dynamically, we're getting more revenue than that back. Uh, in fact, if you look at the CBO's current estimate for corporate tax revenue over the next 10 years, that it's above what their estimate was a year ago before the tax bill already. Uh, and so that the cost of the tax bill, the loss of taxes, is on the individual side. But that includes pass-throughs, right? Right. But $700 billion of the trillion um, now, granted, there's pluses and minuses, and so you can pick, but 700 of the, billion, of the trillion, 700 billion of it was a refundable child credit, which can only have a positive dynamic effect on the economy, really, if you think it's going to affect fertility, which you know, will take at least nine months, I guess, to discover that. Uh, uh, but, but yeah, so, so, so I think that when you're, if you're looking at the tax bill and saying, geez, it blew a hole in the deficit, then you really need to be upset about the expansion of the child credit. And I think that there are a lot of social justice arguments. Uh, for why if we're going to target tax relief, we should do it on families with children because you know, that equalizes opportunity And while we might disagree about you know, the the ex post income distribution I think we all agree that we should try to equalize opportunity So
2: do you feel comfortable that the tax law won't ultimately end up paying for itself or or adding revenue to the federal balance sheet? Yeah, uh,
0: you know, you know, again, I, I think that that if we grow an extra percent a year. Remember when we uh, took office, uh, the, you know, the president promised 3% growth. I think we're almost certainly, I think right now, uh, our internal models say it's about 80% that we'll have 3%, a full year of 3% once we get second quarter GDP in. That if you grow 3% instead of, say, the 2% that we inherited for uh, 10 years, that's an extra percent a year. Uh, that That's not just taxes, it's you know, deregulation and whatever else we do. But a percent a year that gets 10% higher GDP uh, in the tenth year, and uh, I guess GDP in the tenth year right now is uh, estimated to be about 28 trillion. So, so you get 2.8 trillion dollars more GDP. Uh, and, and, or, or let me put it this way: the, the, so right now the deficit over 10 is about a trillion dollars higher uh, because of the big expansion of spending and because of the CBO's you know unwillingness to have much growth effect from the, from the tax bill. Uh, but GDP over the next 10 years is like what more than four times. Right. Uh, higher than that. It's about six times higher than that. And so so would you trade a trillion dollar uh, increase in the deficit for six trillion more GDP? Uh, if you have a model that says you shouldn't do that, then you probably should check your model.
2: But are you, you're kind of assuming that there won't be a recession, that we'll go 10 years with no economic setback, external shock or anything. And in, in, I think in American history, we've never gone through a period of this long without any kind of recession or something like that. So mm-hmm. couldn't it be... Exacerbated right. You're
0: right that a recession would change the trajectory. And, and if you go back and look, uh, I haven't checked every uh, CEA forecast forever. It, it, you know, it really is, as you know, the main job of the CEA is to do the forecast for the government of what uh, GDP growth will be. I don't think a, a recession has ever been forecasted by the CEA. And the reason is that economists generally aren't very good at saying when the recession is going to happen. But I would say that over a 10-year period, the odds of there being a recession you know, unconditionally are probably like north of 50-50 mm-hmm. for sure. And, and uh, you know that's something one needs to factor in. But the, the forecasts that we do, you know, are are based on sort of the average of upside and downside scenarios, and that's the way all CEA chairs have done it. The the typical CEA forecast over time is a little bit higher over 10 uh, than the forecast that we have. Uh, and which is for an average of about 3% growth over 10 years. The average for CEA chairman in the past has been maybe about a quarter percent above that. Uh, our forecast was controversial when we came in because the previous administration had said that we're stuck in this new normal with growth, remember they had one and a half percent growth as we right. were taking office, that with, with growth that was low because there was this exogenous force that was driving growth low. Uh, and that we're stuck at one and a half forever, and that anybody who says anything differently is uh, is stupid, a liar, or both. Uh, well, well, our view was that we could change policies and return us to the normal normal, not the new normal, of three percent growth. And so far, that bet is looking pretty good.
2: So you, when you in September 29th last year, when you did come out with your forecast of the four thousand dollar, you know, mm-hmm. inc- increase per worker, over three to five years. You know, that was something that you put out before the bill passed, and it obviously uh, got a lot of people talking about mm-hmm. different models and stuff like that. Can contrast that to trade, where you guys have been kind of quiet about what your forecasts are on what could happen. Can you can you let us in or tell us a little bit about why you guys haven't been more public about your economic forecasts on different scenarios in the trade debate?
0: Sure, sure. we'll we'll you know, the, the CEA has multiple roles, but but our primary role is to uh, provide uh, documents that help decision makers decide what to do, and uh, those documents are covered by executive privilege. They're not made public. Uh, they're not voyable, uh, even just as if, uh, you know, if Kellyanne goes and talks to the president, then that's a private conversation. And, uh, you know, 99.99% of the things that we do are never made public, even to the point where it's a challenge for me that I've been noodling about uh, that, that we do a lot of stuff that would be very useful to future CEA chairman uh, and, uh, because we have to figure out some really tricky issue uh, and it takes a lot of time to do it and it would be useful if they could have our memo, but, but they can't. Uh, and, and so I, when I've wanted to see, well, what did the CEA advise President Bush or what did they advise President <coughs> Obama, that I'm not allowed even to see, see those memos. And it's almost everything that we do. And so when we make something Public, I think that it's because we have a very specific objective of uh, dri- driving a debate with our analysis. And um, I think it was very natural in the fall to uh, have us do that on the tax debate, because, because I'm a tax economist. I spent my whole career studying things like the wage effect of taxes, uh, and I thought that uh, at that moment in the public debate there was a heck of a lot of confusion about how to think about what would happen. But there's a
2: heck of a lot of confusion now, you have to think. I mean, companies are leaving. Harley-Davidson is going to move some jobs and other companies, there's a nail company in southeastern Missouri that might go out of business by Labor Day.
0: There, there, but there's a lot of good analysis out there that people, you know, so there are a heck of a lot of voices like the OECD's analysis of what happens if this goes to the good equilibrium. It's very solid analysis. If I were to do an analysis, I think I would probably
2: get something similar. You, so you don't think there's a downside, negative, you haven't forecast there would be any negative impact of it counter-tariff war between the U.S. and other
0: countries? I can't talk about what we've done, that we, we haven't made public. But, it, but again, it's very rare that we do make So So I'd say the two big things that we did make public last year were uh, the tax bill and the opioid report, where uh, we looked at, uh, obviously there's an opioid crisis in the United States, and we looked at previous estimates of the cost to society of the opioid crisis and found that they didn't include a value of the lost lives. And that when we did include a value of the lost lives, that we found that the opioid crisis in 2016 costs uh, the United States, you know, five six hundred billion dollars. And uh, you know, I think that that report drove a lot of discussion about, about opioids, but we you know again it's very infrequent for us to do it and it has to be something where uh, you know we put out something that, that you know sets the record straight and people are confused about it. Right. I think is, is pretty much when decision makers decide that we we have to publish a document.
2: Um, the, the last jobs report came out obviously there was a lot of surprise in the market when the president tweeted that he was looking forward to the numbers. Um, without getting into what the prior administration did do you expect any change in protocol based on that are you guys going to do anything differently are you going to be tweeting that you're looking forward to <laughs> jobs
0: numbers i am very much i could say it right now i'm very much looking forward to seeing the jobs numbers <laughs> uh and uh you know that the i uh, have just about uh, as you know it's traditional the CEA chairman, um, after being voted out of committee, to start as a consultant at the White House. And so I just hit my one year anniversary of being in the White House. Uh, but, but you can't be the chairman and, and, and you know, sit in the office until you're confirmed by the Senate. But ever since I got there, uh, Gary Cohn or I, uh, you know, every single day, every single day that there's data coming out tomorrow, the CEA chairman is the only person in government that gets the data a day ahead of time and then a CEA chairman can communicate it to the Federal Reserve chairman, the president, the treasury secretary, and the NEC director. And every single day we do that. And, and the president loves the data. A lot of times our uh, five minutes on his calendar for data you know, turn out to be like half an hour or 45 minutes because he's so into the data. And we've been giving him the data a day ahead of time. Uh, ever since I can remember being in the White House and uh, his his tweet that he was looking forward to seeing the data uh, was you know not a violation of protocol because he didn't say what what the number was but I agree with those who say that it's probably you know best if we not be tweeting an hour before data come out
2: so you do so you won't do anything differently in the future but you
0: expect that maybe every single time we remind everybody of the protocols and you know moreover uh, watch very carefully uh, to make sure that there are no signs that the data have gotten out. Um, it's it's one of my main jobs is, is to protect that, and we take it very seriously. We don't talk about things on open phone lines. Uh, there's even a, a little story, You know, hopefully it, it might take longer than 20 seconds, but, but one of the previous CEA chairmen uh, had a tradition that if the data were really interesting, then he would walk across West Executive over to the White House to brief the president, and uh, word got out, and so hedge funds were watching uh, to see if he walked to the White House because they could then figure out whether it was big news in, in the data. And so I have a practice that I walk over to the West Wing every time I get new data, but I don't always go up to the Oval. <laughs> but, but 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 and, and again, that's because you don't want to say it on the phone.
2: Right, you don't want to telegraph it. Yeah. Well, great. Well, Kevin, thank you so much for your time. It's been great thank having you. Great you. Um, and I want to hand it off now to my colleague, Libby Casey, who will be talking to a panel of tax experts. Thank you so much. Thanks. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you.